I want to start today with a story from this week, actually. Uh, I'm at the grocery store and I'm getting sort of, we, we, at our, in our family, we kind of do to two, two different types of grocery trips. Uh, we do the big grocery trip where we stock up on all the stuff that we just kind of know we need from time to time. Uh, but then I also will occasionally just kind of pop out to the store and uh, buy things that I might want to cook for dinner for the next three or four days. Uh, those little meal trips. And I'm on one of those trips and I'm, I'm just kind of, oh, what am I, what do I feel like making? You know, what are we going to, you know, picking up fresh ingredients and uh, it's getting late in the day and it's kind of, kind of almost dinner time, which is the worst time to be grocery shopping. And so I'm, I'm texting Karen and I'm saying, well, what, what should we get? And, and what should I get tonight? And she says, well, why don't, why don't you just grab like a, a frozen pizza? And I said, okay, that's, that's a good idea. So I go over to the frozen section and I'm seeing all the different pizzas and there's, you know, 15 different brands and, and three different flavors of every single, there's too much choice. There's too much choice. And of course I, I like to get a good deal. I like to try to feel like I'm getting something good. I don't know what the difference is between any of these. And as I'm looking through, I see a couple of boxes kind of next to the pizzas. And they're the, the little pizza bagels. I don't know if you're familiar with this. And I thought, man, it's been a while since I've had those. And I, and I said, well, I wonder if the kids would like that. And I realized, because here's the thing, as a parent, and I put this on Facebook this week, so if you've seen this, you, you, you know where I'm going with this. As a parent, you try to give your kids the good stuff, right? You want, you want to treat them well. You want to, you want to take care of them. Now, we're going to completely discount the nutritional value of these pizza bagels, uh, because that's not what I'm talking about today. But I realized that they, they kind of slipped into a blind spot. I was like, man, my daughter, she's going to be 10 this fall, and she didn't even know what they were. So I said, well, we got to get them. We got to get them. So I, I bought a couple of boxes of these pizza bagels, and I stuck them in the oven. They were delicious. But I started thinking about this because if I had asked them, right, I'm texting Karen, what, do you, what should I make? If she had put the kids on the phone and said, well, what do you want? And if I had let my kids ask for whatever they wanted from me for dinner, they would never have gotten that because they didn't know about it. They didn't know it existed. Right? My point is that they, they couldn't have asked for it because they didn't know. Right? We're continuing uh, in our series on prayer and I'm jumping back into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we've kind of been in and out of the Sermon on the Mount as we've been going through this because a big part of this uh, section on prayer is, uh, a big part of the Sermon on the Mount, I should say, is about prayer and how to pray. And so when Jesus is going through this, uh, this lesson, he, he, we start out in, in chapter six with the, what we call the Lord's prayer, which is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And then he, he goes on to, to give them some, some advice on the attitude of their heart and, and how, how they should pray, how they should behave. And in chapter seven, he says something kind of strange. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. When Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you, He's, he's giving a picture of this continual prayer, this, this communication with God, where we give him our requests. We, we share with him 
what we consider to be our needs and desires. And of course, God being omniscient, he knows what we need, whether we ask for it or not, but prayer and this communication with God is how he has chosen to relate to us. So Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened. And that immediately should raise some red flags because you're thinking that if you've, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you go, that's probably not how it works, right? You can't just ask for something and God, God's not a vending machine. God, God is not, uh, it, it's not like Santa. You don't just write a list of all the things you want and mail it into the North pole. So that can't be, that can't be right. But it kind, of, it kind of feels like he's saying, just ask and you'll get it, right? Seek and you'll find. Well, God doesn't hide from us. So that's a little odd. Knock and the door will be open. Well, which door? This morning I was talking to Mike. I said, God is not Monty Hall. <laughs> God doesn't, there's not three doors. So what's he talking about here? We would, we would severely limit God if he could only ever give us the things that we could think to ask for. So it can't just be ask for the things you want and God will give it to, them, to you. But the more time that we spend in communication with God, the more that God will, will relate to us, the more that God impresses on us his nature the more we will know what to ask for. And when we ask for the right things, God is ready to give them. See, the trick is not just asking, but asking for the right thing, not just seeking, but, but seeking him knocking on the right door. You see where you're, where you're headed is where you're going. That seems obvious. But if I'm going one way and I want to get, if I, I really, really want to go north, can't go north by walking south. And so if what I want and where I'm going are not in alignment, I'm not going to get there. Right? But showing a dependence on God for, for needs that can be met no other way, God is always pleased with that kind of faith. And it's faith in what God can do in, in what Christ has done that brings about a true change. We can't become better by puffing up our own self-righteousness. When Jesus says, seek and you will find, we should be asking ourselves, well, what, what am I seeking? Because what I'm seeking is what I'm going to find. Well, God himself <laughs> in, in Psalm 27, he, he says, seek my face. My heart says to you, Lord, your face. Do I seek? The young lions suffer and want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his peace continually. I jumped around to a couple of different Psalms there, but they're all in there. I promise. In Proverbs eight says that his heart's desire, God's heart's desire is for us to persistently and passionately look to him all around us. And and when we do that, when he, when we, when we look for him, he promises that he will be found. So seeking is a matter of attention. And it's not just a matter of a, of a verbal request, but a matter of what we're paying attention to what we're engaged with. So earlier in the sermon on the Mount in chapter six, Jesus says, 
very familiar phrase, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He said, he's talking about all of the needs that we have all, you know, don't worry about uh, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Where's your shelter? Where's your, your warmth? He says, don't worry about that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seeking God's kingdom, putting God's plan before our own. Well, that kind of requires us to understand God's plan, which isn't always going to go well. It's not a, not a perfect thing. He says, knock and the door will be opened. Jesus is using a, he's using a metaphor here. He's, he's not saying there's a, there's actually a door between us and God, but he says that it does require some action. You do have to, you, you have, you can't just walk up. You have to show that you want something. And the most natural thing to do when someone is behind a door is to knock. If you, if you know where someone lives and you want to see them and you drive up to their house and their car is in the driveway, you walk up to the door and stand there. Unless they have a dog, nothing's going to happen. You have to knock. Now ring the doorbell, I suppose, but they didn't have those back then. And you got to keep knocking until the door is opened. If you knock once and, and then you wait, nothing happens. You go back and you knock again. If you don't care about being polite, which you really shouldn't have to with God, you just keep knocking. That's a picture of our prayer, the persistence of our prayer. A couple of weeks ago, Mike shared the story of the, the parable of uh, this widow who, who was wronged by someone and she goes to a judge and, and the judge won't hear it. He says, I don't care. You're wasting my time. And she can't get justice. So she starts to needle him. She starts showing up every day. She says, give me justice. Hear my case. Finally, he says, you know, I, my reputation's on the line. I don't really care about what's right or justice. I'm not, I'm not worried about what God thinks, but my reputation, she's attacking me now. I'm go- I have to deal with it. Well, if somebody like that, who has no regard for what's right, will give in with persistence, how much more so will God recognize our persistence. Ask, seek, and knock. There's three kind of three different senses being used here. Uh, asking is verbal. We, we use our mouths. We use our, 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 you know, I'm not saying you have to speak every prayer out loud, but we, we put words to our needs, but also with our attention, with our emotion, we seek him. We, we engage. That's more than just asking. That's a matter of priority. And to knock, that involves some kind of physical movement, some kind of action, right? Putting what we want into practice. Asking and seeking are of great importance, but they would be incomplete without knocking. Right? John says that Christians should not love in word alone, but with actions also. 1 John 3.18. So we should pray and, and seek God, but we should also act like it. It's no accident that uh, Jesus said to uh, his followers that they should love God with, with all of their heart and soul and strength and mind. It's, it's our whole being. And Jesus goes on. He, he, this is kind of a, a, a passage, a, a snippet of, of his speech that gets taken out and held up, put on a plaque. But he goes on. 
And, and in my Bible, I don't know about yours. There are headings where, where different paragraphs are kind of given their own titles. And uh, this next bit is in the same section in mine, but it's not in the same section in all Bibles, but I really do think it belongs together because he keeps speaking. He's not done. He says, everyone who asks receives everyone who seeks finds Uh, to him who knocks, it will be opened. But then he keeps talking. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Of course not. Those, the, the people who are hearing this, uh, they, they go, well, of course not. I know how to take care of my kids. You know, what are you accusing me of, Jesus? Well, he's accusing them quite a lot because he continues. He says, if you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So this is the part that gets left off, but it's all, it's also a very popular and, and commonly quoted part. He says, so in everything do to others as you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets. Let me break that apart for a little bit. Okay. Jesus is talking about what God is like. He's talking about the nature of God. He's comparing God to a father and he's speaking to the crowd saying, Oh, Hey, there are parents among you. Don't you know how to take care of your children? And it's always interesting how he throws these terms around without us sometimes giving much thought to it. Cause it's almost like in passing, he says, Hey, you who are evil that you know how to take care of your children, you know how to give them good gifts. You who are evil. How would they have reacted to that? I think imagine they'd reacted much the same way we would react. We'd say, whoa, whoa, that's a, that's a huge statement about humanity in general. That's a slap in the face. You're all evil. Well, yeah, so am I. I'm, it's not Maybelline. I'm born with it. <laughs> uh, Jesus doesn't call that good. He, there's a sinfulness inside of us that he doesn't mask. He doesn't sugarcoat. He doesn't say, well, you have good intentions. He says, no, deep down there's evil. But even though we are all sinful by nature, most parents by nature want to give good things to their children. I would say most parents will not maliciously give their children snakes or stones to hurt them. But Jesus says, well, if we can do that, if we can do that good while still having evil within us, Imagine what a holy and perfect God can give. He knows what you need more than your own parents do. He knows what your children need better than you do. He has better gifts than bread and fish. And he has the power and the ability and the willingness to help. Most parents want to give good things to their children. There is this little bit of God's nature in all of us. That even those who do not follow Jesus, even the unbelievers, they know how to raise children. They know how to be kind. There is something of God's nature that was created in us that has survived the fall. But Jesus says, imagine if you could take that and make it perfect. That's what God is. like." So notice that he, he talks about what God is like. And then he ends with this. So because of what I just told you about what God is like in everything do to others, what you would have them do for you. We call that the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do 
unto you. Well, that's a command on how we're supposed to act. What does that have to do with what he just said? You'd be surprised reading through, especially uh, the teachings of Jesus or really any time in the new Testament, anytime you see a verse about who God is or what God is like, you should expect a response about how we ought to act. There is, it is littered through the Bible. God is like this. So you should be doing this. This is what God is like. So this is how you ought to behave. So in our prayer, yeah, we got to start with this proper vision of who God is, but do you think of God as, as giving better gifts than any person could give you? Do you think of God as, as being more perfect than your parents? I mean, you should. And if you don't, then you wouldn't, you won't want to pray because if God is not any better than any person, then well, people let us down. People fail us. Why would I bother? If God doesn't really care, if he's just up there on the clouds waiting for us to ask for stuff. Well, that seems like a waste of time. But if you look at the Bible, you read all the good things God has done for his people. You see how much he loves them. And I think you would be encouraged. You would, you would want to pray for that kind of love. Because we know what that kind of love is. And I'm speaking mostly to the parents in, in this audience that we know what that's like. Right? If, if the way God is should inform how we behave, well, then the opposite is also true. The way we are when we are at our best gives us a little clue of the way God is. Think about, think about all the good things you want for your children. Think about your love for them, how you would take care of them, how you would sacrifice for them. Now perfect it. And that is how God feels towards you. So when we pray, pray to the father for the kinds of blessings that you would want for your children. Pray to the father for the kinds of blessings that you would want for your children but we have kind of a good news, bad news situation here because Jesus is not done talking, right? He kind of, he finishes up. He says, Hey, you should be asking, you should be seeking, you should be knocking. Here's the kind of blessings that you should be focused on. Here's the, the sort of the, the nature of God and how you can relate to him. Here's how you should be acting, but there's a warning. Because we're talking about where you're going. You can't, again, you can't, can't go north by walking south. If you're not following him, if you're not heading in the right direction, it is impossible for you to receive those blessings because those blessings are over there and you're going that way. You have to be on the right path. So he goes on, he says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Good news, bad news. I love that phrase. I use it all the time. Hey, we got good news. Which one do you want to hear first? Good news or bad news? I always say good news. We categorize the things we hear and read into those two categories. Right? Heard a good joke about good news, bad news, right? Bad news is guy falls out of an airplane Good news, he has a parachute. Bad news, parachute didn't open. 
Good news. There was a huge haystack right underneath him. Bad news. There's a pitchfork in the haystack. Good news. He missed the pitchfork. Bad news. He missed the haystack. You ever, you ever reading a passage in scripture and you're, you're in your mind, you're going like, okay, this is the bad news. Where's the good news. Okay. I'll be honest up front. Uh, this, even though this comes out of the mouth of Jesus, this feels like bad news. Right? This feels, this, give, this gives me dread. Right? Think about the context of what he's saying. He's, again, this is the Sermon on the Mount. There's three whole chapters in the book of Matthew. Um, at the beginning of chapter five, it starts out. He sees the crowds. Uh, he goes up on the mountainside and sits down and his disciples come to him and he begins to teach them. That's how it starts. And he just teaches. And Matthew starts writing. I don't know if he wrote it down after, or if he was taking notes while Jesus was preaching, uh, but it's three whole chapters. I know sometimes we, it feels like we try to model that approach, but no. Chapter seven ends. It says, Jesus finished saying these things. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as one of the teachers of the law. And then he came down from the mountainside. So he sees crowds, he goes up on the mountain, he speaks to them, and when he's done, he leaves. There's no, there's no hanging around to answer questions, there, there's, no, there's no follow-up. He just gives them this very challenging information, especially this part. First, it's a command, right? He doesn't say, here's a gate you should, you should be looking for. No, he says, enter through the narrow gate. That's a command. Doesn't say, try as best you can. He's not telling his listeners that this is the way they should go. He's saying it's, it's, this is the only way. It's not the most common way. It's not the easiest way. It's the way. It's the only way. The gate is small and the road is narrow. And that seems like bad news to me. Uh, before, I, before I came here, I was, uh, I was a preacher at a small church in, in West Virginia. And uh, we were up, we were kind of up in the woods a little bit. And... I got acquainted with narrow roads much, much more than I had before in my life. In, in West Virginia, some parts of it, there's, there's, a, there's a single road that goes between towns. And if that road is blocked off, you say, well, wh- where's the detour? There isn't one. You, you can't get there from here. And the side roads, you're lucky sometimes if they're paved. And they certainly don't have paint on them. And... There was one particular road that, that I would travel most of the time going from my house to the church that had, uh, it had heavy forest on one side and a creek on the other side. And it was just enough space to get two cars past each other. And if I'm driving on the right, creek's right here. I, honestly, I'd rather, be, I'd rather be up against the trees because the trees will ruin the car, but the creek will ruin your day. Narrow roads are not good news. But, you know, even if we could just automatically say, okay, Jesus, your narrow way leads to life. It's worth it. We'll take it. I find it even more troubling. The end of the passage where he says, only a few find it. Only a few find it. So the majority of people miss it. Do do the majority of people miss out on life? Do people actually, do most people take the broad path that leads to destruction? I don't want to believe that, but it's kind of feels like what he's saying here. Why would God orchestrate that? 
If, if God is loving and gracious, why would he, why would a majority of his children be headed for destruction? But I was reminded as I was kind of struggling with this to pay better attention to the chapter as a whole. And I went back to the beginning. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. He says, everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Who does that exclude? No one. No one is excluded from the opportunity to find and receive eternal life. It's not like God sends a few down the narrow path and sends the rest down the path to destruction. No, the only ones who are excluded from receiving are those who are not asking. So we realize that it's not God who keeps the majority of people from experiencing life. It's it's our own unwillingness. Unwillingness to enter through the narrow gate. Few people find because few people seek, but God wants all. And the news gets a little better. Uh, when I read a passage that I, I didn't realize at the time it was only a couple chapters away. I'm looking through these different, uh, different teachings of Jesus. And, and in Matthew chapter 11, he, he, he's talking about certain cities in where, where most of his miracles had been performed and, and how they had rejected him and they did not repent. And, and then he kind of changes his tone. Very surprising in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All who are weary and burdened are offered rest. He says, my yoke is easy. Understand that metaphor. That was a very Hebrew thing. The, the yoke of a rabbi was all of his teachings, all of his, the, the rules that he followed his way of life. And, and the rabbi with the heaviest yoke was the most highly respected. And if you could, if you could follow this particular rabbi's rules, if you, it kind of brings to mind the, uh, in, in Hollywood, you have the, the sort of the martial arts master, right? Where you, you're not even allowed to learn how to, how to throw a punch until you've waxed his car. <laughs> the, the rabbi with the heaviest yoke was the most respected, but he was also the one who put the heaviest burden on his students. Jesus says, no, that's not how it is. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And as we pursue him, as we seek him, we are naturally required to stop seeking after those other things. And we realize that while the road is narrow, the burden is light. The road is narrow. The road is small, but the burden is light. And in fact, the gate is so small that there isn't room for our baggage. The things that we bring to God, the the things that, that hold us back, all of those distractions that, that get in the way of our prayers, all of the things that we would ask for if we could ask for anything, all of the extra things we would seek. They won't fit through the gate. They have to fall away. And finally, I want to switch, switch gospels because there's a fundamental question to the whole discussion. Where is this road? What is the road? What is this gate? 
the narrow gate. How can I get there? In a different gospel, in the gospel of John, we find out that the gate is not a what. It's a who. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is the gate. He says, come to me. My burden is light. It might be hard to find the road, but it's going in the right direction. So when we pray, I just want to leave you with this. I want to challenge you this week. As we pray, we should put these things into practice. We, we should ask for the things we need, but we should know that we don't always know the things we need. And there might be something amazing that we would never think to ask for. So sometimes instead of asking for what you think you need, ask God to give you what he knows you need. Right? When we seek him, let us seek him without distraction. And when we come to the door, knock and knock again and knock again. Don't give up on your prayers because of a little discouragement. Remember, we are children in God's eyes. and He loves us like a father. And he, he wants to give us the best things. It's, it's like Christmas presents, right? When, we, when you buy a Christmas present, do you, I don't, some, some of you, you wrap it right away so that they can't see what it is, or, or maybe you hide it, you stick it up on a shelf in the closet or wherever you, I won't spoil your secrets, but you're just waiting for the opportunity to give it, right? More, more fun than buying the gift is giving the gift. If there is something that God wants you to have and you don't have it yet, you know, maybe it's not under the tree yet but it's in the closet. It's wrapped and ready to go. It might not be Christmas morning, but what two-year-old knows which day is Christmas? We don't know God's timing and we don't know what's best, but he does. And if we rest in him, if we seek him, we'll find him. And his timing is perfect. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, may we trust you, trust you through and through for what we need, when we need it, trust you for hope not to give up. We trust you for hope of life, that the road, though it is narrow and small, would have an easy burden, that we would know that at the end of that road, we would find you. And Lord, those of us who, who find ourselves on a, on a broad path that leads to destruction, knowing that we are not focused on you, that, that we are too bogged down with distractions, God, would you, would you put it on our hearts today to find you, to turn from the path that we are on and come to face you. Though it is, is scary and uh, feels awful to come to you when we have nothing to offer like a child to his father. May we just find rest and peace in you. God, as we pray, would we be continually asking not just for our, our wants and needs, but for your will 
paying attention to what you would have for us in our lives, never giving up. Thank you for your faithfulness and for the sure knowledge that you are there. That you. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you so much. Hope you have a great week. See you next Sunday.